Want to see the world from a totally different perspective? Ready for provocative conversation, intriguing stories, and inspiration? Then don't touch that dial. Welcome to Talk with Francesca. She'll give you something to talk about all week long. Now, here's Francesca. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Talk with Francesca. I'm Francesca, your host, and I have a very provocative an interesting topic this evening. Um, so I'm psyched that you've tuned in, but I just want to go through a little housekeeping before you get started. If you want to contact me, you can email me at info at talkwithfrancesca.com. And if you missed part of the show, you'll definitely want to hop over on over to my iTunes page where you can also listen to other hundreds of other episodes of Talk with Francesca. And if you want to know anything else about what's going on, upcoming shows, giveaways, visit my website, talkwithfrancesca.com. This show is sponsored by Terramia Restaurante in the North End, when you will only accept the absolute best in Italian food, great service, and an intimate setting. Terramia is your go-to spot. I know because it also happens to be my favorite, and there's parking. And don't forget to tell them that I sent you. All righty, we are going to get going here. All right. A little alcohol can boost creativity and strengthen social ties, but there's nothing moderate about the way many Americans drink today especially during a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic. You're going to love this one. Did you know the Mayflower landed at Plymouth Rock because the crew feared the pilgrims were going to go through the beer too quickly? The ship had been headed for the mouth of the Hudson River until its sailor, who, like most Europeans at that time, preferred beer to water, panicked at the possibility of running out before they got home and threatened mutiny. And so the pilgrims were kicked ashore short of their intended destination and beerless. Well, with us tonight is Dr. Edward Slingerland. He is the author of Drunk, How We Sipped, Danced, and Stumbled Our Way to Civilization. He is a distinguished university scholar and professor of philosophy at University of British Columbia. Big welcome to you, um, Edward, to talk with Francesca this evening. Thanks for having me. So I don't know if you know this or not, but where the station is uh, located is in Marshfield, Massachusetts. I know you're in Vancouver, is that right? That's right. Yeah. So uh, Marshfield is probably about 20 minutes north of uh, Plymouth. So. <laughs> okay, that's yeah. great. So yeah. I don't know if you knew that or not, but so Plymouth Rock is very, very close to us. So when I, I read that, I was <laughs> I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, you so have anyway. plenty of beer now, I assume. Excuse me? You have plenty of beer now, I yeah, assume. Yeah. You secured a good beer supply. <laughs> oh, we do indeed. But anyway, all right, yeah. so your new book, Drunk, How We Sipped, Danced, and Stumbled Our Way to Civilization, has a rather provocative opening. I'm going to read it, if it's okay, to our listeners. You start sure. with, people like to masturbate. They also like to get drunk and eat Twinkies. Not typically all at the same time, but that's a matter of personal preference. From a scientific perspective, we have long been told that these otherwise variegated pleasure have one thing in common. They are evolutionary mistakes, sneaky ways that humans have figured out how to get something for nothing. You've been researching why people drink. So two questions. Were you drunk when you wrote that opening? <laughs> and are the scientists right? Yes and yes. Ah! <laughs> so it's interesting. I actually uh, had written about 10 versions of the book proposal, uh -huh. and my agent was not happy with them. She had just... And she was right. It was uh, all the arguments were there. The science was there. The history was there. It just wasn't popping. 
And I realized that what I hadn't taken my own advice. I actually hadn't written any of it drunk. And so <laughs> I was on a business trip and uh, was supposed to meet with some colleagues for dinner, but I had a couple hours. So I went down to the hotel bar. This is pre-pandemic era mm-hmm. with my laptop and had a Negroni. <laughs> and just about when I reached the end of the first Negroni, that that sent those sentences, the whole basically the whole first page of the proposal and what became the first page of the book just appeared to me. I, I really felt like I was just taking dictation. So it um yes, I did write that first line uh, at about point oh eight blood alcohol content, which is about where you want to be for creative insights. Oh my goodness. Um, and it's and it uh, validates the, the scientific argument that I'm making in the book that uh, alcohol in the right dosage can increase creativity. And uh, were the scientists right? Yes, they were right. So this is, you know, the what made me want to take that approach it was the study. Uh, so I, what got me working on this book originally was a study that showed that uh, if you take uh, people in the lab and you give some of them alcohol, you give some of them a placebo drink, the ones who get the alcohol at about 0.08 BAC. So this is about when you should not drive. It's about when you, maybe two drinks in for most people. Um, that's when your creativity peaks. So it, it, and we have lots of anecdotal evidence about this, but it looks like uh, there's a lot of good evidence that if you can turn down the prefrontal cortex, so the part of your brain that's in charge of staying on task and being focused and all the good stuff that we do as people. If you can turn that down for a little while, you do better at these these lateral thinking tasks. So that explains why we keep putting poison into our body. Okay. Um, but you're a professor of philosophy. So uh, what is the connection to alcohol? Well, my day job is early Chinese philosophy. So I study early Taoism and Confucianism. And my previous work, so I have a, a trade book I wrote several years ago called Trying Not to Try. And it's about this tension in early Chinese philosophy. They want you to be spontaneous. They want you to be relaxed. They want you to be in the state they call wu-wei, or effortless action. But And they think if you can get into this state, you will be successful. So you will be able to solve problems. You'll be able to think creatively. People will like you. People will trust you. The problem is, how do you get into a state of relaxation if you're not already into it? How do you how do you try not to try? Mm-hmm. And this is, as I point out in the book, this is actually a, a genuine paradox cognitively, because if you're trying, if you know you need to relax before an interview, let's say, or a, you know, a date, mm-hmm. and you are telling yourself relax, relax, you're you're not going to relax because the part of your brain that you're activating is actually the part you have to turn down, mm-hmm. and so. In one of these texts, this one of these Taoist texts, they compare the Taoist sage to a drunken person. And that just kind of clicked something in my brain, and I thought, huh, this is a direct paradox. You can't consciously try not to try. But maybe cultures have used alcohol as a chemical way around the paradox. So you can't directly try not to try, but maybe you can use a substance to turn down the conscious part of your brain a little bit to get you into these kind of states. So that's what started getting me interested in chemical means for attaining spontaneity. So um, artists, you know, they say getting in the flow. You're you're talking about essentially the same thing. Is that right? 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you're yeah. Uh, if you're a comedian, you know that you, to be funny, you have to be relaxed. And if you start worrying about the crowd's reaction or thinking too much about what you're doing, you freeze up. Um, athletes have the same problem, right? They they when they're in the zone, when they're when they're relaxed and really absorbed in what they're doing, they're very successful, mm-hmm. and they're very worried about choking. Right, they're very worried about getting into a state where they're thinking too much about what they're doing, and their performance suffers. So these are all various, but you know, we face these tensions all the time in everyday life when we have to relax before a job interview, or even um, if you have insomnia and you're trying to fall asleep, but you're you can't shut your brain off. That's just the same type of problem. How do we shut our brains off when we need to? Right. Although, you know, I find that if I go out to dinner and I have a glass of wine or two, I will fall asleep, but then I inevitably wake up. And I understand that's the alcohol that does that. Yeah, so using alcohol as a sleep aid is not a great idea. <laughs> so well, no, I don't use it as a sleep aid. I, I do it to get sauced. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It's a, it has a paradoxical effect on sleep because yeah. it, um, it yeah. has an initial depressant effect, so it does actually help you fall uh-huh. asleep initially. Right. But then your brain tries to compensate for that, and that's why it wakes you up at 2 or 3 in the morning. Right. So. I want to grab on to what you just said when you said the depressive effect because, um, you know – Alcohol is a depressant, and so how is it that it can be a depressant at the same time help with creativity, um, that kind of thing? You know what I'm saying? That kind of thing. How can it be doing both? Right. Well, it's not just a depressant. That's a common myth that alcohol is only a depressant. It's actually both. It's a stimulant as well. And the stimulating effects, it tends to have more stimulating effects in the early stages, and then the depressant effects become more pronounced in the later stages. But it's doing a lot of different things all at the same time. So the... um, the journalist Stephen Brown called, refers to alcohol as a pharmacological hand grenade. So we have drugs like cocaine or uh, meth that do very specific things to very specific parts of the brain, whereas alcohol is just, it's, it is like throwing a hand grenade into your body. It's doing all these different things at the same time. So it is, in the early stages, it's boosting endorphins and serotonin, Mm-hmm. And it's it's a stimulant, so you're actually feeling more energetic and happier, and you like people around you more. The depressant effect is when it's it's turning down or down regulating certain parts of your brain, and there's a couple different parts, especially at higher levels. Um, it affects motor coordination and memory, as anyone who's had too much to drink one night is aware. Um, but the the part of the brain that I focus on in the book is the prefrontal cortex. So this is the center of what cognitive scientists call cognitive control or executive function. It's what allows you to stay focused and stay on task and mm-hmm. um, delay gratification. And um, it's, it's a good thing to have. But there's a lot of evidence that the PFC interferes with creativity. So the way in which a depressant actually helps you be creative is that it temporarily turns that part of your brain down. So you're less able to focus and delay gratification, you're disinhibited, but that actually is a positive thing when you're trying to create new things, when you're trying to to be creative in a kind of lateral thinking way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we do, uh, Kevin, we need to take a break, yeah? Okay, um, uh, Edward, we do need to take a short break. When we come back, okay. um, more questions for you, okay? Listeners, stay with us here. Yep. 
I appreciate you hanging out with me. More talk on the way here on 95.9 WATD. Ladies, are you tired of looking tired, noticing fine lines and stubborn wrinkles that won't go away? The professional team at Jolie Medical Spa in Marshfield offers Botox, fillers, all therapy, skin lifting and tightening, hydrofacials, IV hydration, and more. The warm and caring manner at Jolie Medical Spa will make you feel like you're coming in for a cup of coffee but instead, you'll leave with a relaxed look on your face. Located conveniently at 435 Furnace Street in Marshfield, call them today at 781-248-5769 or visit them at www.joliemedspa.com to schedule your free consultation and know you are in the best of hands. Just wait for your friends to ask where you went on vacation because you know they will. Located in Boston's North End holds one of our best-kept secrets, Antico Forno, ranked number nine of the top ten Italian restaurants around the world within the category of being one of the most authentic. With a welcoming family feel, it's hard to argue the experience you have when enjoying dinner at Antico Forno. Best known for their brick oven pizza, their world-class traditional cuisine does not fall far behind. Come enjoy dinner at Antico Forno and feel like part of the family. Open daily from 11.30 a.m. until 10 p.m. Call us today at 617-723. Or visit us at AnticoFornoBoston.com. They say you are what you eat. In fact, the path to much of your health begins at your mouth. Dr. Nathaniel Chan from Advanced Dental Arts in Quincy and Norwell would like to take the time to show you how the well-being of your head, neck, and mouth affect your overall health. The family dentistry practiced at Advanced Dental Arts helps every member of your household have healthy teeth and prevent periodontal gum disease. Dr. Chan in particular focuses on cosmetics, sleep apnea, TMJ, and migraine pain. Even if you're not a patient, you can meet with Dr. Chan to discuss whitening, veneers, Invisalign clear braces, or implants. Reach out to Dr. Nathaniel Chan today to set up a free consultation at his office at either 353 Washington Street in Norwell or at 1250 Hancock Street in Quincy. Visit drnathanielchan.com. Looking for an authentic Italian meal in an intimate setting? Then you might just want to venture out to Boston this weekend and dine at Terramia Ristorante, a true gem among all those rhinestones in Boston's North End. This cozy trattoria with stucco walls and beam ceiling specializes in creative interpretations of Italian classics. Like the cuisine here, the atmosphere is elegant, yet understated. Since opening in 1993, Terramia Ristorante has aimed to convince diners that there's always more to Italian food than just red sauce. Over the years, the innovative and beloved restaurant has done a great deal of convincing. And best of all, it's reasonably priced. The best-kept secret is worth the trip. Call 617-523-3112. That's 617-523-3112. Or visit terramiaristorante.com. for more talk with Francesca on 95.9 WATD. All right, we are back. And I am speaking with Dr. Edward Slingerland. He is the author of Drunk, How We Sipped, Danced, and Stumbled Our Way to Civilization. All right, uh, Edward. So I do want to ask you, I want to just go off the track for one second. Do you think alcoholism is a disease? Uh, yes, it is a disease, a very dangerous disease. Okay. And a fairly significant proportion of the human population is susceptible to it. 
estimates are up to 15%. And is, do you think it's a hereditary disease or? You know? Oh, it's, it's clearly, it has a very strong um, heritable component. So yes, it's, it it's okay. clear okay. that yeah. it runs in families. And if you, you have alcoholism in your family, there's, there's good, much greater chance that you'll be prone to alcoholism yourself. But also, I think that, you know, if, if, you know, your say your parents, you know, model, they were, their model was that they were one or two, both of them were alcoholics. Wouldn't it be, well, of course, then they'd be in the gene, but, but let's just say that the child was adopted, right? Um, And both, one or both of the parents were alcoholics. Wouldn't there be a greater chance of the child becoming an alcoholic also? Well, so the way they figure out the heritable component of things like alcoholism and other behaviors is to do exactly what you just suggested. So they look at um, adopted children versus um, biological children. They look at twins, identical twins who are separated at birth. So it's pretty clear that um, if two alcoholic parents adopt a child who does not have a genetic um, history in their own uh, genes of alcoholism, they're they're not going to be as prone to alcoholism. But clearly, um, cultural modeling matters as well. And of so course. one of the things I talk about in the book is the fact that even though probably the genetic propensity to alcoholism is pretty much the same in populations around the world, actual rates of alcoholism vary really widely. And that's got to be due to cultural factors. So culture matters. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, alcohol sales were, uh, was essential business during the pandemic. Was that a surprise to you? Not at all, although it was a gratifying example of my central argument <laughs> that it's really a crucial part of, of society, so much so that really no one questions that it's an essential service. Uh, essential, though? I mean, <laughs> I don't... I don't know. I, when I think of um, alcohol, I don't. I wouldn't have put that in the category of essential business. But uh, yeah, but it was universally put there. I mean, in the states, um, there was. I think Pennsylvania very briefly tried to uh, shut down liquor stores that lasted about twelve hours. Um, so people. I mean, what's happened in the pandemic? So it was an essential service. What is what we've seen in the pandemic is, I think, the dangers. So one of the things I talk about in the book, I talk about two things that make alcohol much more dangerous in the modern world. And one of them is isolation. So we, uh, especially in North America, tend to drink more at home, um, not out in a social ritual uh, situation. And that's weird. Uh, Historically, people have not had private access to alcohol. The only time you had access to it was in a a public feast or some sort of ritual where the, the pacing of the drinking and the amount everyone drank was controlled. So that's dangerous. Um, And then when you make that really extreme, so in the pandemic, people are in lockdown and they're drinking at home. They're maybe even entirely alone. They don't even have any other people with them. Um, That's a recipe for disaster. And and I think what we've seen is instances of alcoholism and problem drinking have really shot up during the pandemic. So it was essential. I mean, it's something that people use, people uh, make a basic part of their lives. But the way in which we ended up using alcohol during the pandemic was really unhealthy. Yeah. Uh, Okay, explain why. We're not designed to drink alone. So we're not designed, the way we traditionally have drunk is in uh, 
you know, you have a ritual in the evening where everyone sits and you have a meal and you, it's the way we are meant to drink is kind of how people still drink in Italy, right. <laughs> Southern Europe. So there's right. Southern drinking cultures, alcohol is a part of life and, you know, you have it with every meal, but you have it only at meals. You have it at the meal table, so at the lunch table or at the dinner table with other people. The other people are helping you to pace your drinking. So, you know, people pour you some wine. If if you're reaching across the table and grabbing the wine bottle and filling yourself up too much, people kind of look at you sideways. Right. What are you <laughs> um, doing? <laughs> this is, it's, alcohol is dangerous. It's, it's really addictive. It's, uh, it's a dangerous drug because it can, if you start to use it too much, it can make you depressed. Mm-hmm. But it that initial serotonin rush it gives you makes you feel better. And so it can create this really dangerous cycle of mm-hmm. making you depressed and then you use more of it to feel better. Um, it's, a, it's really hard to control alcohol consumption, and that's why cultures have had these various ways of doing it, having toasts, um, having rules about when you're allowed to drink and when you're not. And in the pandemic, that all got thrown out the window. I right. mean, right. at least, you know, even if you're in North America, and you're drinking socially, you go out to a pub, you don't necessarily realize it, but your your drinking is being regulated. You have to wait to order another round yep. if yep. you're with people. Um, there are bartenders and cocktail servers who will cut you off at a certain point if you start drinking too much. Mm-hmm. All None of those controls are there when you're alone in your house and you can just fill up your glass as often as you want. So that that's why it's dangerous. And then the other thing is um, distilled liquors are are much more dangerous than beer and wine. They're a relatively recent invention. We didn't have them on a on a widespread scale in Europe, at least until the probably 1600s, 1700s, which in a, uh, the story I'm telling starts 10 million years ago with our primate ancestors. So that's, that's really recently in the time scale that I'm working on. So, and that's another problem is people ordering, you know, I, I was in lockdown. I've been, spent a lot of time in lockdown and in isolation because I've been traveling to the States and I have to quarantine when I come back to Canada. And I can order, I've takeout places around me would bring me takeout and bring me like home homemade uh, margarita kits. <laughs> so I'd get these massive bottles of tequila and I could just drink <laughs> as much of it as I wanted in theory. It's just, it's, we're not built to have, we're like the situation in lockdown that we've had is kind of like these rats in these studies where they overcrowd rats and then they give them access to an alcohol feeder tube and they just start feeding um, all the time with the alcohol tube. That's what's been happening to us in lockdown. Mm-hmm. But there are, so we're, we talked, um, you know, a lot about um, the, some of the things that alcohol is not good for. Um, but you say that being a little drunk makes you a worse liar, but it also makes you a better lie detector. What, can you explain that? So lying requires you to be Focus. It requires your PFC, your prefrontal cortex. You need to remember what you're say, what you're lying about because it's different from reality. You can't just check your memory. Uh, it requires you to control your facial expressions and your tone of voice. If you impair your prefrontal cortex by take drinking some alcohol, you're making it harder to lie. Um, you're making it harder to keep track of um, this thing. Whereas saying, you know, telling the truth is easy and spontaneous because you're not having to you're not having to use working memory to remember right. what you're supposed to have done. So, so you're worse at lying. Um, 
And what's that's kind of intuitive, I think. What's mm. what's less intuitive is that when we're trying, if we're trying consciously to detect lies, mm. we're worse at it than if we just relax and take in a broad range of information. So seems you're to be saying because being what drunk? we consciously think we need to focus on is not what we really need to focus on. So um, we actually get better at detecting lies when we're drunk. Because yeah, and yeah. so it's both making it harder to lie and easier to detect lies. Right, right. Um, and you also say alcohol is a better way of sussing out um, better cooperators. What What do you mean by that? Well, we in, we face all the time in daily life and um, in in cultures dealing with other cultures, these, what I call these uh, cooperation dilemmas. So they, the, there's a bunch of different names for these dilemmas in game theory, prisoner's dilemma or tragedy of the commons. But basically there are situations where you're better off cooperating. Everyone individually is going to do better if we can trust each other and cooperate. But your rational self-interest is going to lead you to cheat and try to get the best deal at the expense of the other person. Um, so rational, self-interested individuals have trouble solving these dilemmas. Basically, people running on their PFCs have trouble uh, solving these dilemmas. But humans solve them all the time, and we solve them because we relax and we're, uh, we're run by our emotions. We trust people. We feel loyal. We feel like we love people and want to be uh, help them and be bound to them in various ways. But there's a danger of people faking commitment. And so I argue that one of the reasons we use alcohol in social situations like um, business meetings or treaties, if we're negotiating treaties with people, um, historically there's always alcohol involved because it's a way to kind of not only make people better inclined toward one another, but also make it easier for you to read signals of trustworthiness and the people you're having to cooperate with. And how many people go into a, a business meeting and then afterwards they go hit the golf course or play tennis or whatever? I mean, that's really seems where the – and then have a couple of cocktails. It seems like that's where a lot of business uh, takes place. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So I – point out in the book that when Skype was invented, everyone predicted that, oh, well, business travel is just going to stop because mm-hmm. why would you why would you fly to Shanghai mm-hmm. to do a business deal when you can just do it over the phone or yeah. on Skype? Um, and yet pre-pandemic, business travel didn't change at all. And my prediction is post-pandemic, it will rebound to previous levels right. because yeah. in any situation where there's um, it's complicated, there's a lot of moving parts, there's a lot of opportunity to, you know, evade the letter of the contract and not quite do quite what you said you were supposed to do. You want to get to know someone, so you're gonna you're gonna fly there. You're gonna have a meal with them that's gonna involve a lot of alcohol. You're gonna go play t- and stuff like playing tennis or playing golf also is very revealing, right? Your exercise can help relax the prefrontal cortex and give you a sense of someone else. So that's why that's a lot of business really gets done in those you know informal interactions. Right. And that's what we've lost during the pandemic and it's really it's going to be interesting to see what the long-term impact will be of, you know, a year and a half of people missing out on that kind of interaction. Right. So, you know, when we drink, we're saying that I'm I'm willing to be open, open. I'm not armed, I'm sincere. But there are obviously, like, exercise is one of them. There are other ways to get to that place without getting loaded. So um, we do need to take another short break. When we come back, let's talk about some more 
natural, healthier ways to get to that <laughs> same place. Listeners, stay with us here. Don't go anywhere. This is life, I'm Francesca Luca, and you're listening to Talk with Francesca on 95.9 WATD. They say you are what you eat. In fact, the path to much of your health begins at your mouth. Dr. Nathaniel Chan from Advanced Dental Arts in Quincy and Norwell would like to take the time to show you how the well-being of your head, neck, and mouth affect your overall health. The family dentistry practiced at Advanced Dental Arts helps every member of your household have healthy teeth and prevent periodontal gum disease. Dr. Chan in particular focuses on cosmetics, sleep apnea, TMJ, and migraine pain. Even if you're not a patient, you can meet with Dr. Chan to discuss whitening, veneers, Invisalign clear braces, or implants. Reach out to Dr. Nathaniel Chan today to set up a free consultation at his office at either 353 Washington Street in Norwell or at 1250 Hancock Street in Quincy. Visit drnathanielchan.com. Noticing fine lines and wrinkles? Skin laxity or stubborn areas of fat that just won't budge despite your efforts? How about increased anxiety and fatigue? What is your body trying to tell you? With the power of Powell, you'll be able to get to the root of the aging process and back to the best version of you. Jennifer Powell offers Botox, Sculptra, skin resurfacing treatments, volume restoration, laser hair removal, body contouring, skin tightening, nutrient IV hydration, and more. Visit her new location at 222 Webster Street in Hanover, just off Route 3. Call 781-421-6544 or visit jlprn.com today to schedule your consultation. Jennifer and her team of specialists look forward to helping you understand your beauty from within. You need help around the house. You need a handyman. How do you find just the one you're looking for? Go to locally owned and operated handymanconnection.com. Handyman Connection puts you in touch with one of their carefully screened and background checked craftsmen. You get the best help around for maintenance, installation and remodeling services, carpentry, tiling and flooring, and assistance with aging in place upgrades to your home. Handyman Connection also provides you with free in-home estimates and a one-year written warranty on labor from one of their experienced professionals. Call 781-829-3030 or visit handymanconnection.com. Your connection to quality craftsmen on the South Shore. One call, one connection. Tides is beachside dining at its best, all year round. Located at the end of the Nahant Causeway, directly on Nahant Beach, the ocean views from the dining room in the pub can't be beat. Tides specializes in casual dining with food that's delicious, not pretentious. On a warm day, enjoy a frosty pint at their bar or their sun-drenched deck on Nahant Beach or enjoy an incredible meal in their dining room anytime. Tides guarantees you great atmosphere with superior service. The menu at Tides is full of fresh, high-quality seafood, prime rib, chicken, pasta, and pizza that everyone will love. Check out the drink menu at Tides for fun cocktails, 30 ice-cold beers on tap, and their well-rounded wine list with state-of-the-art tap wines. Tides is unbeatable anytime, summer or winter, lunch or dinner, rain or shine, visit tidesnahant.com.
Located in Boston's North End holds one of our best-kept secrets, Antico Forno, ranked number nine of the top ten Italian restaurants around the world within the category of being one of the most authentic. With a welcoming family feel, it's hard to argue the experience you have when enjoying dinner at Antico Forno. Best known for their brick oven pizza, their world-class traditional cuisine does not fall far behind. Come enjoy dinner at Antico Forno and feel like part of the family. Open daily from 11.30 a.m. until 10 p.m. Call us today at 617-723. Three six seven three three, or visit us at AnticoFornoBoston.com. Now is the perfect time to maximize your summer view, but window cleaning can be so time-consuming and difficult. The friendly professionals at Fish Window Cleaning understand and are ready to help. After your free estimate, a Fish Window Cleaning team member will show up in uniform to clean your windows as well as mirrors, skylights, and ceiling fans. Schedule your free estimate and see what the largest window cleaning company in the world can do for you. Visit fishwindowcleaning.com. I'm Francesca Luca, and you're listening to Talk with Francesca on 95.9 WATD. We are back, and I am talking to Dr. Edward Slingerland. He is the author of Drunk. It is an absolute must-read. Welcome back, Edward. Thanks. So, okay, so when we drink, we're saying that I'm willing to be open, I'm not armed, I'm sincere. But, you know, what I'm wondering is, are there other ways that you can get yourself into that sort of flow state, relaxed state, Uh, What I'm thinking about, some people find it very useful to meditate or exercise, especially cardio, um, and the runner's high, right? We can't forget that. Uh, These things cut down the chatter, and do you think those avenues are as effective? Yes. So uh, there's good work on, for instance, the runner's high, that it's, it's essentially doing the same thing that alcohol is doing. It's turning down your prefrontal cortex. And in the case of alcohol, it's because the chemical is directly suppressing the activity of the PFC. In the case of runner's high, you're stressing your body. And in response to that, your body is like, okay, we don't need the prefrontal cortex anymore. <laughs> let's, mm-hmm. let's put all our resources into the, the lungs and the heart and where we really need it. And so it has the same effect. It's why you get that relaxed feeling. You also get um, endorphin boosts and serotonin boosts from exercise. So exercise is one way to do it. Meditation can do it. So in meditation, you're down-regulating the PFC mm-hmm. through the action of your mind. Um, so you're trying to you know, focus on your breathing or depending on what type of meditation you're doing. There are different techniques for doing that. Right. Meditation can work. Uh, you know, even doing stuff like going for a walk or gardening or, you know, there's anything that's engaging your body can help turn your mind down and get, get you in a similar place. And so that's why you see religious groups who ban alcohol for whatever reason or they they ban chemical intoxicants often use other techniques for getting the same effect. So they do, you know, dancing and singing and often staying up all night. So sleep deprivation will do it to you as well. So there's you can do it through pain. So you can do it through painful um, rituals. And actually meditation sometimes is doing it through pain if you're sitting in an un- uncomfortable position for a long period of time. So there's lots, there are other ways to do it. Mm-hmm. It's just that uh, they're, they're kind of a hassle. 
staying up all night <laughs> yeah, and there's dancing a, there's a big difference and like flagellating yourself and um, you could do that or you could have a couple beers. Right, so I think right. there's a reason why the chemical intoxicant option has remained in our cultural repertoire. Right. But, you know, and, and getting back to, to drinking and, and uh, get, actually getting drunk, don't you think, or I, I don't know, I, I think it's a way of hiding from yourself in some ways, no? Uh, if you do it to excess, certainly. If you're using it as a crutch in the sense that you, um, you know, you can't interact with people at all without it, that seems to be a problem. There are lots of signs of problem drinking, um, and there's lots of books that will help you figure out if you're a problem drinker or whether or not you're drinking in a healthy manner. But, uh, you know, alcohol disinhibits you, and so it's actually in a way showing your true self. I mean, it is making it harder for you to dissemble, to to lie, to present a different face to the world than the face you really have. So I don't think it's it's um, when used in moderation, it's hiding from yourself. It's a it's a tool we use to um, socialize more effectively and to create more effectively as individuals and as groups. But the problem with alcohol, especially those with a serious problem, is the more relaxed they become, the more they relax about drinking more. I know <laughs> there was a time in my life yeah. when I would go to dinner and I would say, but I'm not going to have dessert. But I'll tell you what, after that second glass of wine, all bets were off. I knew I was having dessert. You know, I yeah. was relaxed. Like, oh, yeah. what do I care? You know, what the heck? So, yeah, I mean, it absolutely does. It, it, it does relax you. And... Uh, so anyway, well, it but just inhibits you. So I mean, the PFC is the part of your brain that allows you to not have dessert, mm. right? It's the part that allows you to suppress desires and to delay gratification. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're down, you're down regulating the PFC. It's going to be hard for you to resist dessert. And as you note, it's going to be hard for you to resist that third glass of wine if it's offered to you. Mm-hmm. And so that's where you really need, um, in a way, I've I've talked about this in a different context as delayed cognitive control. So before, if you know your PFC is going to get downregulated and you're not going to be able to uh, effectively control your behavior, you, you preset limits on yourself. So, you know, you, tell, you don't just say to yourself, I'm not going to have dessert. You say to whoever you're having dinner with, I don't want to have dessert tonight. If I change my mind, don't let me. <laughs> right? you have, or you tell your friend, I'm only having two glasses of wine. Don't let me have that third one. There are ways in which you can use social support uh, to pre-bind you. Right. Uh, so you, you make the decision when your PFC is working properly, and that will then keep you safer when it's not. Mm, how much is too much? I know it's is it different for a man and a woman. I for some reason I want to say that they changed it. It used to be one drink a day for a woman and two for a man, and I think it's now one a day for both. Is that right? Yeah, the the advice on this changes a lot, and and that advice is really purely medical. So it's talking about just in terms of the impact on your body. Um, which is going to be a lower number. And, in fact, the Lancet, there was an important article that came out in the British medical journal Lancet a couple of years ago that argued that from a purely medical perspective, the, the proper amount to drink is zero. And I think that's right. Um, it really physiologically is overall not good for you. 
Um, but in, if you're talking about functional effects and how it helps you um, and mentally in, in terms of relaxation and quality of life, that's a different story. And um, I think so it is different for men and women. There's some suggestion that we may metabolize alcohol right. slightly differently, but it's mainly about body weight. It's just that men tend to be larger and heavier than women. Um, and I think the, the estimate is, you know, if you're out for a night of drinking, like two drinks is reasonable. Um, and where, you know, these positive effects from alcohol, the creativity, the feeling of bonding, the feeling of, of relaxation and euphoria seem to peak at around 0.08 BAC, blood alcohol content. And that's about two drinks for most people, maybe a drink and a half if you're, if you're smaller. But, it, you know, it also depends on if you're eating food at the same time. Right. Uh, there's a lot of factors. Right, right. All right, we do need to take another short break. Listeners, stay with us here. When we come back, we're going to talk about the angry drunks. This is I appreciate you hanging out with me. More talk on the way here on 95.9 WATD. You need help around the house. You need a handyman. How do you find just the one you're looking for? Go to locally owned and operated handymanconnection.com. Handyman Connection puts you in touch with one of their carefully screened and background checked craftsmen. You get the best help around for maintenance, installation and remodeling services, carpentry, tiling and flooring, and assistance with aging in place upgrades to your home. Handyman Connection also provides you with free in-home estimates and a one-year written warranty on labor from one of their experienced professionals. Call 781-829-3030 or visit handymanconnection.com. Your connection to quality craftsmen on the South Shore. One call, one connection. Tides is beachside dining at its best all year round. Located at the end of the Nahant Causeway, directly on Nahant Beach, the ocean views from the dining room in the pub can't be beat. Tides specializes in casual dining with food that's delicious, not pretentious. On a warm day, enjoy a frosty pint at their bar or their sun-drenched deck on Nahant Beach. Or enjoy an incredible meal in their dining room anytime. Tides guarantees you great atmosphere with superior service. The menu at Tides is full of fresh, high-quality seafood, prime rib, chicken, pasta, and pizza that everyone will love. Check out the drink menu at Tides for fun cocktails, 30 ice-cold beers on tap, and their well-rounded wine list with state-of-the-art tap wines. Tides is unbeatable anytime, summer or winter, lunch or dinner, rain or shine. Visit TidesNahant.com. This is the time of year for your yard to be alive and appreciated. You need to get in touch with the professionals who can make that happen quickly and affordably. You need to visit SaleEnterprises.net. For simple cleanups and landscaping, visit SaleEnterprises.net. Upgrade your favorite spot in the backyard to have an inviting stone patio. Give your front walkway the character it deserves with a unique paver layout. SaleEnterprises.net can even create an eye-catching cobblestone masterpiece that will not only define your yard, but reduce watering and yard maintenance. You've probably already seen your neighbors getting a head start. Be sure to book your appointment today so you have more time to enjoy your new space. Visit SaleEnterprises.net. 
Looking for an authentic Italian meal in an intimate setting? Then you might just want to venture out to Boston this weekend and dine at Terramia Ristorante, a true gem among all those rhinestones in Boston's North End. This cozy trattoria with stucco walls and beam ceiling specializes in creative interpretations of Italian classics. Like the cuisine here, the atmosphere is elegant, yet understated. Since opening in 1993, Terramia Ristorante has aimed to convince diners that there's always more to Italian food than just red sauce. Over the years, the innovative and beloved restaurant has done a great deal of convincing. And best of all, it's reasonably priced. The best kept secret is worth the trip. Call 617-523-3112. That's 617-523-3112. Or visit terramiaristorante.com. Hey, this is James Woods, and you are listening to Talk with Francesca. On 95.9 WATD. All right, we are back, and I am speaking with Dr. Edward Slinkerland. He is the author of Drunk, How We Sipped, Danced, and Stumbled Our Way to Civilization. So, Edward, people who drink together seem to like each other. They, they bond. They're hitting it off. What about the angry drunk? The angry drunk is an angry person. <laughs> so it's not, there's, this, again, another myth is that, you know, alcohol creates aggression or creates uh, bad behavior. All alcohol is doing is disinhibiting you. So it's, it's reducing your ability to inhibit impulses. And so people who become angry or mean when they're drunk are angry, mean people. And, and maybe they're normally able to hide that or suppress it when they're PFCs fully functioning. But th- again, this is one of the reasons that we drink with people. Um, we get to see them when their guards down. Mm-hmm. And so, so people, people, it doesn't create meanness or, or angriness. It just releases it. Do you think that people are telling the truth when they start saying things that uh, can be mean or insulting? Do you think they're telling the truth about how they really feel or are they just being mean? I, it really depends on the individual, I would think. Yeah. Um, they're more likely to be telling the truth than when they're sober, um, but they could also just be lashing out verbally. Um, it's yeah. really, it really would depend on the individual. But you are, you're getting, when someone's drunk, especially if they're quite drunk, you're getting a glimpse into what's going on in their brain when it's not being filtered by the PFC. So we are in our last segment, and I'm uh, curious if there is anything that I should be asking you that I haven't. Uh, well, what's, what are some ways to deal, deal with the dangers of alcohol? So it, it's, I think right now our debate about whether or not we use alcohol in, for instance, professional settings, whether we have it at professional conferences, um, and then the way we think about using it in our private lives is really distorted, and it's because we think of alcohol really just in a medicalized way. So what is it doing to our bodies physically? And if you think of it that way, it's you shouldn't drink because <laughs> it's just the physiological impact is definitely negative. Um, once we start thinking about the positive effects of so the creativity, the bonding, we at least have something on the other side of the equation. We have some benefits that are outweighed, you know, at least could outweigh the cost. 
But I think it really comes down to individuals to decide um, how they do this calculus. So if you're if you have a history of alcoholism in your family, it, there's a good chance that it's going to be hard for you to use alcohol safely. Um, there, we also need to you know alcohol-based bonding is very effective. People use it all the time. It also creates an uh, uneven playing field. So if people are bonding together, let's say at the the conference hotel bar after the sessions are over at the end of the day, um, who are they? They tend to be men. They tend to be men who don't have to get up in the morning and take kids to daycare. Um, it's, it's an environment that may be very uncomfortable for women to mm-hmm. be around. Um, mm-hmm. It right. disadvantages people who don't drink for a variety of reasons. Maybe they're Muslim. Maybe they're a recovering alcoholic. Maybe they're pregnant. Maybe they just don't like to drink. So we really need to work harder to figure out how to use alcohol in a way that doesn't disadvantage people who don't use alcohol and and in a way that is safe for people who may have trouble using alcohol safely. Mm-hmm. And that's the dark, that could be the dark side of alcohol, the old boys club. I mean, you know, it's, it's people, yeah. right? So that can be, that can make women feel left out. Absolutely. I have a whole section of the book on that, that this is, this is the dark side, right? So almost every benefit of alcohol has a negative side. <laughs> um, that's why it's, it's a, you know, cultures have always had very ambivalent views of alcohol. As long mm-hmm. as we've been making alcohol, which has been forever, mm-hmm. we have been trying to ban alcohol. So prohibition is something that cultures of all over the world have tried at various points. Um, and it's because of this, it's got this, this dark side. It's a right. two-faced uh, friend. And so you do have to worry about, and I don't think we've worried enough about um, making alcohol-based events more inclusive and making them feel safer for mm-hmm. women, for instance, or young people. Right. Uh, you mentioned prohibition. When humans were forced to abstain or drink in isolation during prohibition, new patent applications decreased 15%. Yes. Right? I mean, can you share and your insight about be- that? Yeah, so that's, because, that's a very interesting study that basically used a natural experiment to see what the effect on collective creativity was, and it was, it was a negative effect. And the interesting thing is that it recovered, uh, patent applications recovered after three years, and the author's theory is what was happening was, so saloons were shut down, people were unable to drink in public. It was a lot like going into pandemic lockdown, right? You could, you could still drink, you could get alcohol, but you had to do it at home. Um, and what happened was the creation of speakeasies and underground bars where you could start socializing again in, a, in, a, in an illegal way. So um, I like that study because it's actually, it's correlational. Um, it's not causation, but it does suggest that when you take away venues for people to drink and talk and share information, innovation suffers. Mm-hmm. And I predict that we're going to see that the the pandemic has really had a serious negative effect on innovation. You know, I was getting my computer updated back, I don't know, maybe four or five months ago. And literally right next door was a liquor store. I mean, this was like uh-huh. in broad daylight. It was just unbelievable. People going in and out, in and out, in and out. It was like, wow. <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway, yeah. So, but um, what does this vice say about humanity itself? I mean, could society have even emerged without alcohol? Well, my argument is that it's for, quite literally the 
drive to get intoxicated is what created civilization. So we, we have always been told that alcohol is kind of a byproduct of agriculture. So we start growing crops, and at some point we figure out that if we leave the grain sitting around, it'll ferment. But uh, recent evidence, so since the 50s, archaeologists have started to argue, and I think this is the dominant position now, that hunter-gatherers were making alcohol long before we had agriculture. And it's probably the drive to make better and more beer that motivated these people to settle down and start becoming farmers, not the desire for bread. This is the so-called beer before bread hypothesis. So it quite literally drove us into civilization. And then once we were in civilization, it was a really crucial tool for helping us to adapt to living in these this new way in these large groups, mm-hmm. uh, cooperating with strangers all the time. So we're a very odd primate. Uh, we're, we're biologically primates. But we cooperate on a scale and with an intensity that looks a lot more like social insects. We look a lot more like ants or bees, uh, the way we cooperate. And and pulling off that trick, how to get primates to cooperate on a large scale with people who they're not related to and often who they don't know, is, is, a, is a challenging trick to pull off. And there's a lot of cultural tools we use to do that. Religion is one of them, for instance. Um, But another one is intoxicants. So chemical intoxicants have been this important glue that has uh, kept people together, even though we're living in this evolutionarily novel situation of large-scale societies. Do any other animals like to get intoxicated? They do. Um, so clearly, um, you know, al- uh, birds, mammals, if they can get a hold of alcohol, they'll often drink it and get drunk. Um, <laughs> but it's, and it, so it's clearly hitting their reward centers the same way it does us. Uh-huh. Um, it's just, you know, it's, it's an accidental thing that happens to animals. We're uh-huh. the only animal that has really made producing and consuming chemical intoxicants one of the centers of our attention and effort (laughs) in a really serious way. So we just have about a minute and a half left. Hate to put you into a box, but is there anything that you would like to share with our listening audience before we say goodnight? I would say that now that pandemic restrictions are lifting, Mm -hmm. start drinking in a more healthy way. Uh, Stop drinking alone at home. Go out to the pub go out to a wine bar, go out to a restaurant, drink, drink in public. If you, um, it really is a healthier way to drink. You'll drink less. Uh, the, the cognitive effects will be more beneficial. Uh, so drinking in a social situation enhances all of these, the serotonin and, and endorphin effects of alcohol. Um, and the other take home, I, I think, would be just be, be aware of distilled liquors. They are wildly more powerful than, for most of our evolutionary history, we've been drinking relatively weak beers and wines, um, so pretty low alcohol content. And then relatively recently, we invented these distilled liquors, which can get up to, you know, like 90-something percent alcohol by volume. And that's when things get dangerous, because if 0.08 BAC is a sweet spot, you stay around, if you're drinking a low-strength beer, you stay around that sweet spot pretty much the whole time. If you're drinking vodka, you can blow right past 0.08 to a really dangerous level of inebriation in 30 minutes. So I would be, I would, the one take-home bit of advice and one that I've applied in my own life is, is beware of distilled liquors. Right. Well, all right. Well, thank you so much. It's been fascinating. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. So listen, you can pick the book up at Amazon, obviously. Is that right? 
Yeah, everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. everywhere. And what's, what's your website? It's just my name, edwardslingerland.com. Pretty oh. simple. All right. Edward Slingerland, author of Drunk, How We Sip, Dance, and Stumbled Our Way to Civilization. Listeners, pick it up. Great beach read. Thanks again for being with us tonight on Talk with Francesca. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. We've got to wrap things up and say goodnight. I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did. Super interesting information. See you next week, same time, same place. Make it a great week. Sun goes